we're back for another episode of Well, Not Perfect. This week's guest is someone who is literally overcoming mountains every day. Dr. John Kudrowski earned his PhD in environmental geography, weather, and climate, and he is also the owner and founder of Dr. John's Adventures, which leads expeditions to all corners of the globe. He has climbed six of the seven continental summits, including five expeditions to Mount Everest. His most recent summit of Everest came while guiding and coaching singer-songwriter Mike Posner in June of 2021. Throughout our conversation, I was struck by his laid-back attitude and humility. These qualities have undoubtedly played a huge role in the ability to lead himself and others through great and often dangerous adventures. This episode is full of intriguing insights from someone who is frequently encountering unpredictability and setbacks. Listen for an inside look into the mindset that allows John to persevere and push others to do the same thing. And I tell this to all my clients, doesn't matter who, when they start working with me, as I, I say to them right away, as you know what, I will never tell you that you can't do it. And then, I, and then I'll add to that and say, and I don't want to ever hear you say you can't do it. And if I, I know the client's dialed into like, hey, I can no matter what, then that's going to work. In this episode, you will learn the attitude and mindset required to overcome adversity and uncertainty, why athletes need to focus on fun as the center of their sport, and the importance of spending your time looking forward instead of living in the past. Welcome to another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Thank you for coming on today. You are a doctorate in environmental geography, weather, and climate, which is very mm-hmm. impressive. And you've climbed many, many mountains, which we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about today. So tell us a little bit about yourself and why so many mountains and why so dangerous? What's, you know, what's driving you? <laughs> well, I mean, now I do a lot of this stuff for other people. I work with other clients, people that have become my, some of my really good friends now. You know, today is the one-year anniversary of being up on Everest last season with Mike Posner, who's become one of my best friends. And I trained him for almost two years on 71 different mountains all over the world. And then that led us to him, you know, his dream was Everest. So I kind of created a, you know, because of my background as a professor, I kind of created coursework for him. I said, if you don't pass this and this and this and this, you're not going. And that's kind of the same methodology I apply in training. I apply to my client, all my clients now. Yeah. So is it, so that's what you do. That's your job now is to train and guide people. Is yeah. That right? I mean, we kind of call it personal adventure coaching because yeah, I mean, I get people that come to me with not just goals about Everest, but it could be, Hey, I want to be a better skier. Hey, I want to just hike some different mountains or Hey, my goal is Mount Rainier or my goal is, a Colorado 14 or my goal is Kilimanjaro or my goal is to walk across America. I mean, we have so many different people that have adventure goals and we can coach them from start to finish, whether it's them working on a remote program and then offer up advice on gear, planning your expedition. If it's a place I've been before, I can help navigate that. And then on the, on the upper echelon, it's hiring me one-on-one 
to, to just guide you on what your adventure is and take you from the start of it all the way up through, you know, if you're a beginner, all the way up through becoming a master of it so that you will reach your summit. Finding it so interesting because you obviously are adventurous by nature and that just takes like the physicality, but then you also have this degree behind you. And so how does your degree really translate into helping these people with their adventure goals? I think it's, well, the desire to, to have that growth. So through teaching and education, I got started in this because I really just honestly thought that I would be a college professor. So I got my degree, furthest degree I could get. And then I thought, well, hey, if I'm working with students in the classroom setting, then I can use the sort of the steps of teaching something, take that with me, but then also go on my own trips, just explore on my own. And that's how this got started was like, I would go every break that I had as a grad student, or even a little bit after that, I would just jump on a plane and go somewhere. And most of the time it was mountaineering because I love climbing to the highest peaks in the world, but it's also just exploring places. And so by going there, I met people in those places and that led me to creating Dr. John's Adventures, which is then the ultimate of like, well, hey, I have these alliances and these logistical connections in these countries. So then I can go and take people there and they can feel safe, secure, know that their trip's going to be really well done and well thought out. And then they also will have, have me there as the peace of mind, the guiding them, leading them and making sure that they are safe. Growing up being athletic and being an athlete in college, were you always the leader, kind of like the captain rallying people around goals? Like, was that always kind of a part of you or is that different now? Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. Like, I mean, as an athlete, I, I was always a leader, captain of the football team, basketball team. I played basketball at Division One school, uh, Valparaiso in Indiana. I think leadership has so many parallels on, in, on this sports arena field or whatever i think uh the team there's got to be teamwork though to be successful on these mountains because the weather's going to get bad at some point you got to have a lot of patience you got to be resilient because the storms will always end and then you got to be ready to get up there when when um, the weather allows so part of that's attributed to making good decisions being patient and then having a good team in place because mm-hmm. i can't do it alone well i looked at your instagram account and you make it look so beautiful and almost like every day is kind of a vacation. Although I'm guessing that's not how it feels. Does work feel like work to you or is it, is it as fun as it looks? I think there's days where it goes. I'm like, Oh, I don't want this office day to day and like admin day. But then you set it, I script it out and set it up for just a lot of passion projects of fun and found ways to make a pretty good living at it. And I'm grateful every single day. And then it's like, well, in order to have some of the fun, you've got to pay your dues. So I, I spent a lot of time writing this last book, Classic Colorado Hikes, which uh, just came out. Kind of goes hand in hand. It's like I try to put together a good book every few years. It gives me the opportunity to go out and speak and inspire people. And that allows me to grow our business from a standpoint of like, I do a monthly newsletter that I'll release and then mix it with social media. and It all fits together. It does. And it sounds like, you know, there's the day-to-day, you make a paycheck, but 
the other things that you're doing leaves a legacy to let people kind of believe that they can be as adventurous as you and that there's kind of a, a way to do it from what I've, you know, what I've heard on, you know, like other podcasts and, and just doing my research on you a little bit is that you have a casualness to you that I think is really refreshing because a lot of people think mental performance and being an athlete is the opposite of having um, an ease. A lot of people think you have to be forceful and aggressive and the, the more laid back kind of flow state that you seem to kind of have, or you describe is, is a nice, is a nice element. And I really wanted to bring that up today because I find that young athletes don't understand that you can have an ease to you yet be very successful, be very competitive. Can you comment on the idea that there is like an ease or casualness about you? Yeah, obviously you're very successful, very competitive, not laid back or lazy by any means, but it feels a little contradictory. And can you talk a little bit about how that fits into your performance? Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing with the outdoor space, because there's a lot of different ways you can create a path in the outdoor world. But I think the most important thing is focusing on doing it for the right reasons. And along with that is, is making sure you're having fun because that's, I guess, the main reason why we got into this, right? It's like, whether you're a recreational mountaineer, a, a weekend warrior, or somebody who is, you know, maybe getting sponsored and doing actual projects, I feel like I've crossed all the realms of those in some ways because now it's about uh, inspiring the next generation as well because, you know, there's so many issues now, right, with phones and the youth and not just the environment and climate change, but and those are whole other things. But even just like with our kids nowadays, like what are we educating our kids and doing and what are we having them do with their free time and are they always going to be you know, like this with their phones, or they're going to, we're going to get them outside instead. And so it's really just like, I guess, challenging our kids to make sure they're having fun. And that then takes away the seriousness out of it, I, I think. And then, and then it also inspires them to just go out and, and create their own challenges, you know? Right. Do you think that the outdoor space as well brings in so many elements that you can't control that compared to maybe like an indoor space, like a gym the outdoor space, you have to let go and realize that you don't have control of all of the degrees of the weather and, and all of the things that it kind of forces outdoor sportsmen to really release control because you can't argue yeah. wind or snow. Absolutely. It brings the elements of humility and being humble about what you're doing. So, but that can apply to the, let's say the sports world. If you think you're really great, you'll meet someone else that's better than you, no matter what sometimes I think about that just out in the mountains is like the mountains will just humble you. So it doesn't really necessarily matter if you're, you shouldn't be out there to go against somebody else per se. It's more about like the mountain decides. How does the mountain contrast with playing basketball? What's the difference in terms of the mindset? I mean, I think they're both very similar in terms of knowing that you have to be mentally, mentally prepared for the challenge, but that you have to be willing to accept in both cases, like defeat, whether it's defeat from an opponent, but the mountain makes the decisions or the, the outdoors and the weather makes the decisions. Overall, these mountains will humble you and make you feel so insignificant. Mm, um, you know, working with all of the high school athletes that we do through programs and like our individual work, there's so many times where I'm trying to express 
the value or the importance of adjustments or of letting go or having a bad practice and you know moving on from that and having a better one the next day and there's this like intense rigidity that i see and it's not just in high school athletes because it's also in the c-suite adults in my practice which is this force which is which is like i should be better or stronger or more capable than this situation and it's lacking humility it's lacking the sense that there's a lot bigger world out there than just like our willpower and i and i see that your examples are so obvious like and they're so kind of like it's a beautiful idea that like these things are lessons you learn on the mountain but when people are shooting free throws or when they're in the boardroom they believe that they are the ultimate controller they believe that they're the ultimate decision maker on how they perform and when they don't perform there's just the a total collapse what kind of mindset do you have when you're trying to kind of over control a situation where you're just not doing as well as you want to what do you say to yourself yeah i mean it's uh i'm able to pull sometimes from that sports mindset because it, it is always like next play next play and in life we can we can never do anything about the past you could you could let that attitude just destroy you or you could just forget about it somehow block it out and we really have to do that on piles to expeditions because some days you're going to have a bad day where you don't feel good you're not moving very well or the storm rolls in and you just get battered and battered and like you know all those things you just have to go into it knowing that anything can happen and us as humans and this is just in general in life but like we spend like 90 percent of our lives dwelling on the past and if we could get rid of this 90 percent of the past and switch that to 90 percent of the present and or future mm -hmm. our lives would be incredibly different mm -hmm. and, and and really rich your whole lifespan being a young athlete to a college athlete now being a professional adventure coach what has been the kind of mental rut that you would get in like is there one that you would frequently visit and how have you gotten yourself out of it i mean i'll be honest you know anywhere from four to seven years ago it is that whole comparing yourself to others and i think it's the worst hole that a lot of us rabbit hole we can get into as people with phones and social media, it's finding ways to unplug and um, making sure that you're not comparing yourself to others. Oh, so-and-so has this going on. So, you know, like I can't clone any other people in this space. Like I have to just do what I do best and do what I love and, 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 um, and sort of use my own education and my own background to kind of forge my own path it doesn't really serve me to, to try to make comparisons. I just have to like be grateful for the clients that I have, for the opportunities that I can create and, and, and then focus on what I want to do moving forward. Mm -hmm. We can learn from what people are kind of doing because there are certain models of certain things, but we can't kind of sit there and get this sort of FOMO or like, oh, I wish I was like so-and-so, you know, I, I don't think that helps. No, there's a reframe that uh, has been helpful that I started using on myself. And then I recently suggested it to a diver. And I said, we should be grateful for the fact that we are competitive enough to want to compare ourselves to somebody else. And that means that we are competitive. That means that we're in the right space. 
that means that we're passionate about what we want to do. And so we can be grateful for that comparison or that urge to compare, but then leave it alone and refocus on ourselves. So there's a reframe to it, which is this really negative thought about what we don't have, like a deficit we can actually make it a positive. And that being, wow, I'm so grateful that I still care enough because there are many athletes that don't care about their performance or sports anymore. They're burned out and they're not comparing because they're, they're burned out. And he, you know, he and I talked about that for a while and he was like, it's nice that this isn't a bad thing that I do, that it's actually something that I can be grateful for, but then turn my mind to like all the other skills that we've been using because there's ways I try to make a win-win. Like I try to make a negative thought beneficial. Like I try to find that growth opportunity in it. Um, and that comparison piece, I think we spend like half a second there that we have to move on because it can really eat up, eat up people. I think men and women kind of compare in the same ways in athletics, you know, it's, it's about the person's performance. It's about their physique. It's about what they have. We really common. Throughout my 10 years as a therapist, I've learned a thing or two about growth. I've had the honor of supporting clients and becoming more resilient people, overcoming obstacles, and achieving their goals. What I've learned through this process is that there are five essential steps in every growth journey. With the goal of making personal growth accessible to all, I use these steps to create a planner series so that anyone can work on their growth anytime and anywhere. Each step includes pages of insight and skills from my personal and professional experiences and ends with 30 days of space for you to practice what you've learned. Personal growth isn't a quick process, but this series is designed to make it easy and fun. Learn more at www.simplybecounseling.net slash planners. And be sure to check out the subscription option, which gets you a planner delivered to your door every month for the next five months. Since you're a Well Not Perfect listener, you can get 10% off on any order using code WELLNOTPERFECT. There's no better day than today to tap into your own growth and resiliency. You, you know, are training so many people. Do they come to you with a pretty healthy mindset or are there, are there examples where you really had to hone in on the mindset more than the physical training? Yeah, I think it goes hand in hand. Like sometimes people don't even know what they're getting into, but it's more about the fact that they want to use the outdoors to change their lives. So yeah, we've had guys call us and it tend, to be honest, turns into more of like a, on the initial console, like a therapy session on the phone. Like, Hey, do you realize what you're getting into? Okay. And then they, but then they'll share their story of why they're doing it. And that can be quite deep. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are doing these outdoor adventures for different reasons. I mean, I work even with people in the ski world. I'm a certified professional ski instructor as well. So most of the winter when I'm home in Vail, I'm out on the hill uh, teaching skiing at Vail with longtime clients. But I'll have, for example, like a CEO from New York comes out with his family every year. And he says, you know, hey, I'm out here because I'm trying to become a better skier but hey maybe i want to try a hut trip or a mountain or something more challenging but to grow through these adventures because he's like well i make all the money i want in the world but i'm still not happy and uh you know that's interesting it inspires me too every day to get out of bed and to you know know i have a, have a mission to work with people that are are pushing themselves
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I could only imagine, you know, the therapist in me is kind of dreaming of like a, like a men's retreat where, you know, there's just this like, kind of like evolving of, you know, the physical endurance and then like the mental side of things. And I think that there's a lot there that people are desperately seeking. And the wellness space too has really taken off. So, I mean, like I also see with my career as I'm getting a little, little older, I don't necessarily want to be up on Everest maybe a few more times, but I just spent some time in May at the in Telluride, beautiful mountain town in Colorado. There's an organization there, a company called uh, Reset Telluride with my friend Dylan Bates, who owns this wellness retreat. And we spent a week there with some people that are from, you know, like the Silicon Valley and tech world and they're busy CEOs that are always just wired, wired. And the idea with this is it's a luxury wellness retreat where people come and spend the week trekking and I help lead some of the hikes and they Beautiful. get uh, massages and they get good nutrition and they, there's a, a wellness studio for yoga and stuff like that is really appealing to people that are busy. I don't think this is a surprise to anyone who listens to the show or has been on our website, but I really had a, in a moment, an enlightenment moment at a retreat center at Himalayan Institute out East in Pennsylvania. And I just really realized that I wanted to bring a different element to mental health back to the Midwest, back to Illinois. And the retreat completely changed the course of my life, my family's life, all the employees. And then in December, I went to one uh, out in California called Sagrada Wellness. And it's kind of up in the mountains. And again, like just really reconfirmed some things, got some clarity, but to get away outdoors, hiking alone in the mountains, I mean, for me has been really life-changing and, you know, something I encourage people to do all the time, just the forest preserves, you know, the, the, for me, the idea of kind of like getting like quote lost is like, for me, that's what I enjoy the most. Like I ride my bike here in Chicago area. There's lots of beautiful forest preserves up North. And if I take the wrong trail, like I enjoy that. Like, I like the idea of being completely anonymous, not really being able to be found, you know, it's, it's something really therapeutic. And I didn't know that that's what I needed or liked until like a couple of these events where I'm like, I really just want to kind of go out in the middle of nowhere and just kind of be by myself. And I don't know, it's really therapeutic and I wish more people could do it, but people, I don't think want to be alone or vulnerable. I don't know. Something, something I think is intimidating about being in the woods alone. I don't know. Any thoughts about that? Yeah. If it's for somebody for the first time, uh, or, uh, the funny thing that I get from a lot of people is like, yeah, we'd be hiking somewhere, even on this last retreat I was on and there's bigger mountains near where we were. And I'd been on the summits of a lot of these. So you kind of look over with just like a smile on your face. Cause you know, you've been up on these summits and a couple of people were like, Oh, you go out and climb these by yourself. What are you thinking? And, and I said, well, whether I go by myself or with somebody, we're both climbing. I could still fall. If I'm with somebody, I can still fall. So it just, for me, it's kind of interesting, the mindset of that, because we learn self-reliance by going out and hiking alone first. And obviously I'm not like doing 
crazy free solos and I change my level of perception of risk and what I'm going to do alone versus with somebody. But yeah, if I, if me and my climbing partner aren't carrying a rope and we're scrambling up some kind of moderately technical stuff on a peak, I still could fall. It's just, mm -hmm. see, right. <laughs> but if I have mm -hmm. like a transponder or something, I can get rescued. But I guess my point was, is just that like, it, I can still go out and feel the same if I'm right. by myself or with one close friend, you know? So, right. and I like going right. and getting that solitude on that solo mission sometimes. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Cause we were joking about mountain lions and to your point, if a mountain lion's coming after one of us, it's probably coming after both of us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a really good point. You know, there's so many things that I know you have kind of like locked away, you know, from experience and from training, like, cause what you do is a lot of mental fortitude, yet you come off so humble, you come off, you know, so easy going. And I just, I just, you know, notice that. And I wonder, do you see that as a strength of yours to like, have that, have that ability to like be confident yet? Like it doesn't come off too strong. Uh, yeah, I think so. But I think part of it is that a couple of these experiences in, in Nepal 2012 and 2015 really changed my life, you know, because of situations like on Everest, my first climb, climbing all the way up within 800 feet of the summit, having to turn around and come all the way back down and witnessing seven deaths in the same night, had to kind of just stay calm and realize that some of the people couldn't be helped, but we helped the people that could be helped in that situation. And then in 2015, the, the earthquake that happened on, on Everest, I was just in base camp, but within 200 yards of where we were, this big wave of the avalanche came down and created a big sort of sonic boom that blew through the base camp and killed you know, 18 people. And you go down in those areas only 150 yards from where your tents were when our tents were untouched and you go through there and people are dead so but it in that moment it didn't do any good to panic you know it was more like well first of all who can we find that's alive and can be carried to a safer spot to get them care and then we'll deal with the dead after that i mean we can't do anything about it so yeah and i don't know i think sometimes you get desensitized to it in some ways some of these situations have become sort of warlike Although I've never been in a war, but I can imagine it's like people are dying. And, well, when I was watching 14 Peaks, I mean, when he was trying to save um, someone on his descent and, you know, it was just awful to see. And, and the whole time, I just assumed that the guy was going to survive. Like, I just, I wasn't ready or I couldn't comprehend that, you know, that, that death is common. And it was hard. It was hard to watch because I probably didn't realize that it is a documentary it's not a movie things don't mm. turn out the way that you know movies do yeah. but it was startling to kind of recognize that that had just happened to him and he still had to descend and get back to camp yeah and you guys have, a, have to have thick skin and be, be strong and absolutely there's a guy out there right now tom jones he's doing 76 marathons in 76 days mm. you know that level of you know physical training but you know, I always want to dig into the minds of people who are doing that because your, your body's, you know, the vehicle, but your mind is the engine. And if your mind isn't sharp, then Tom Brady, right. His mind has to be sharp in order to have, you know, the physical abilities that he does. So do you think that there's anything unique or special or just one in a million, um, and people who can really 
do something in their brains and then like their bodies can sustain and follow? A little bit, but I think there's a lot of, with the, the best athletes, it's the combination of, of metal toughness and, and then the physical body of, of recovery and listening to your body, I think, the most. It goes back to everyone having the desire, though, to create your own adventure. Don't let anyone else tell you you can't, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I, that's sort of my first line to my clients when I'm going to take on somebody and work with them, though, is I, I try to test them right away out together for a couple of reasons. One, I say, well, if you're going to do this goal, I, first thing I said to Mike when I met him, I told him, hey, man, you you got to figure out if you even like me, you have this dream of climbing Mount Everest and like, you want me to coach you, but you don't even know who I am. And also you may not even like me. Mm-hmm. So you got to figure that out. And then I said, the second thing is, and I tell this to all my clients, doesn't matter who, when they start working with me as I'll, I say to them right away as you know what, I will never tell you that you can't do it. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then I'll add to that and say, and I don't want to ever hear you say you can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I think, if everyone lives by that, those sort of mottos, maybe not the first one you got to like me because that's different, but the whole, I can't. And if I, I know the clients dialed into like, Hey, I can no matter what. And then they, they believe in me that mm-hmm. I'm going to believe in them, mm-hmm. then that's going to work. And that's how yeah. I know. Yeah. I'm pretty good. Usually at reading people's attitude in the first day. Right. Right. The, the basic mantras that we teach the athletes in this like one-on-one course is I can, I will, I am capable and they can add to it. So like, I can climb Mount Everest. I will climb Mount Everest. I am capable of climbing Mount Everest. So they can add to it if they want, but they really want the short and sweet one. And it's a great mantra because it, depending on the cadence that you say it, in the tone you say it, it has this like really strong kind of energy to it as you kind of chant it. And it's been really powerful for people who are, you know, looking in the past, looking at past mistakes. You know, when you look in the past, it tends to be more of that depressed mood because you're regretting things or you don't think you're good enough because you've messed up in the past. So there's a low mood to it or like a low vibration. And so by the, I can, I will, I'm capable, it actually like vibrates higher and it just gets your mood more elated. And then it naturally shifts you out of it. So it's got this nice little physiological response to it because I can't agree with you more. You know, there's just these basic things that we say, and then our emotions follow that. And then our physical abilities follow that. And we often control our thoughts. So I, I couldn't agree more that like at the end of the day, if people are wanting to achieve something it has to come with I can I will I also do on words like I trust myself I think a lot of people lack trust in themselves because mm-hmm. they've not followed through in the past or people have told them that they're not able to follow through so I think a lot of what you're doing too is teaching people to trust themselves yeah the simple like believe in yourself you know and then and then you're asking about like another thing about uh, changing your attitude one thing that really works for me is that cryotherapy. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's more like if I'm kind of sitting in like a blase day and I go out and I get in the river and I, I just get all energized, start seeing colors. I start just thinking about cool stuff. And then I get out mm-hmm. and I'm just like excited and pumped uh-huh. up about it. You yeah. even sit in the river for five minutes, you know, but yeah. then the therapeutic so cool. benefits of it, there's so many benefits, which we don't have to get into, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, mm-hmm. it just gets you excited about mm-hmm. life. It does. I worked with, I, I had a, 
professional athlete who would experience panic before the events and resources are low at those competitions. So I said, find a bucket of ice, put some water in it and submerge, dunk your face, submerge your head, hold your, hold your breath as long as you can in a bucket full of ice and do it as much as you can until you feel, you know, the panic subside. And it was, you know, it was, it was, as it was the million dollar ticket. I mean, it was just the one answer. It was the one thing um, after everyone was telling him like thought reframes, positive affirmations, meditation, and at the end of the day, his panic was so much mental that he needed a physical jolt to get him out of it and, uh, and lacking resources, you know, there's no cryotherapy tub anywhere. So a good dunk submerge of the head did it. And, and that's been in my field for a while now with some other intense urges and impulses, but yeah, I mean, we aren't even close to understanding how physical interventions can change mental health. We're not, we're not there yet. People, people are still, you know, sitting on couches and talking, but (laughs) hopefully someday it gets a little more physical. Yeah. I just want to say thank you for everything and for being here. I think, you know, you really do show that if people put their mind to it, anything is possible. And it's a pretty cool, cool message to hear right now when, you know, athletes and people are more stressed than ever. So this couldn't have come at a better time. Great. Yeah. I mean, that's just a simple saying too. I actually, a lot of times sign my, my books, especially the sleeping on the summits ones with anything is possible. Mm-hmm. It's really true. If you manifest that into the universe and in your everyday life, you know, I mean, yeah, there's, we all have these challenges of there could be, you know, growing up, let's say with the single parent or losing a family member, or there's so many, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, situations that people have out there, but at least like from the simple perspective, you can overcome a lot by using that and then taking what you're passionate about and pursuing it. And that's Mm -hmm. what I've always believed. Well, I've got a lot of people that I can't wait to share this episode with because they're fans and they're going to be really excited to hear you and get to know a little bit more about you behind those beautiful photos and all the things, the books and everything. It's really nice to, you know, see the person behind it. Thanks. Thank you so much for being here. And this is another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Thank you for listening to season three. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button and consider leaving me a review. And for more information, all things podcast, you can connect with us on Instagram at well, not perfect. See you next week.